This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Welcome back to the Worth Your Time podcast, friends. I'm Erica, and I'm so glad you're here today. If you're listening for the first time, a special welcome to you. Today, my guest is Charlotte Pence. She's the daughter of Vice President Mike Pence, and she was gracious enough to spend an hour of her time with me today talking about her book, Where You Go, Life Lessons from My Father. And we talked about a lot, part of it being what it's like to be the child of a high-profile politician. I'm so impressed by Charlotte's composure and ability to truly respect those who disagree with her, something that I think we can all agree that we need more of these days. In today's episode, I ask her how she deals with people who say really hurtful things about her dad, how she deals with the emotions that may come with that, and what it was like meeting President Trump for the first time. Charlotte also tells me about life on the campaign trail and how she navigates life in the spotlight a bit. No matter where you stand politically, I think it's so interesting to get a peek behind the scenes. And she even tells us about a nice moment she shared with Hillary Clinton on Inauguration Day. Not exactly what you would expect, but it was such a great story and I loved it. So I'm glad she shared. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Charlotte Pence. All right. Hi, Charlotte. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, I was so excited when I found out I was going to be able to connect with you. Uh, Having worked for your dad, Vice President Mike Pence, when I lived in Washington, D.C., I knew when I saw your books coming out, I was like, I'm hoping that I can get her on the podcast. So I'm glad that you're (laughs) here. And your latest book is Where You Go, Life Lessons from My Father, and obviously about life with your dad. And I have to tell you, I related so much on a personal level to a lot of the things you wrote about, things like being a writer, driving down country roads, blaring country music in Indiana, (laughs) um, and also having an awesome dad that was a big encouragement to me to pursue my dreams. So the first thing I wanted to start off asking you was, as someone who identifies as a writer, as an ingrained part of who you are, how did it feel when your books were published and on the bookshelves? Yeah, um, honestly, it was amazing. I think that, um, yeah, it's it's something I couldn't really totally describe. Um, I remember when I saw the book, um, Where You Go for the First Time, um, actually in print, I hadn't actually seen a manuscript copy um, that actually looks like a book. And I was with... Um, some people in, at a conference in Tennessee and it was a booksellers conference and a reporter like pulled out um, just the advanced like manuscript copy that she'd gotten. And I like freaked out <laughs> as she was pulling it out because I had not actually seen it look like a book yet. And um, it was just really cool and just very humbling to be able to do that. And also to have my first kind of adult nonfiction book to be um, just about my family and my dad was just very special. It was really kind of a project that I got to get a lot of insight from my family about. So that was just really fun. So how did you write the book? Did you write it on like a Google Doc? (laughs) Yeah, I actually wrote it. um, I think I mainly used Word, just Word. um, But I usually sometimes I use like Scrivener. um, But mainly for this one, I think I just had it on a Word doc um, that I was saving then online. 
Um, but I would send a lot of drafts to my family, um, kind of as I was going and it changed a lot. Um, as that we started out, like I definitely started writing it, um, thinking it would be much more about the campaign trail. And that's kind of how we had pitched it to people. And it ended up being much more about, um, just lessons from my childhood and lessons from growing up in my family with mixed in from the 2016 presidential campaign trail too. Yeah, I am. Um, I don't know if you know, but I actually wrote my first book last year and um, I was just thinking back to I would write it on a Google Doc and um, it was just very hard to keep track of. But somebody just also told me yeah. about Scribner that you just mentioned yeah. and I downloaded it and I think I'm going to try to start using it because it's like when you're writing a book, it's just so much text and it is just so hard to find your, you know, where you left off and like how you want to organize things. Uh, but it's a learning process, I think. <laughs> yes, definitely. It definitely is. I think I, I've li- tried to do so much research to figure out the best way to have to see what works for you. Yeah. Now you not only are a writer, but you have a career in film writing specifically. So can you tell me how you chose film as a medium and what draws you to that? Yeah. Um, I grew up kind of always just as a storyteller. Um, and that's just how I was in my family. I was always telling stories to my siblings and um, my sister and I would always play games together. And we ended up, you know, filming a lot of little skits and movies um, with our neighborhood friends. And so from a young age, I knew I might want to go into um, uh, like the television and entertainment industry. And so I started doing a little bit more of that in high school and getting involved in, you know, teams and competitions that my high school had access to. And then um, just applied mostly to film schools, knowing I kind of wanted to do that. So I studied screenwriting um, in my undergrad, and then I ended up working in L.A. for a couple of years afterwards. Um, but, yeah, that was it was a very good experience. It's something I still love film and I love especially documentary filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's definitely something I would want to do more of in the future. Um, but it was a good kind of balance between um, you know, being creative and telling stories, but then also working, you know, in an, an environment and in an industry that's very thri- much thriving. So, um, yeah, I loved it. So tell me something. I don't know anything about screenwriting. How would you say it's different than like, say how you wrote your book? Um, yeah, I'd say screenwriting is much more focused on, you know, the visual of what's going to be seen. So, um, you have to really picture every single thing that's going to be on screen that you're describing. Um, and so I think that that's kind of the main thing um, that's different. And it's, it's a great challenge to just to, um, to also kind of do that in your writing, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, you're kind of learning um, how to do that well and how to, how to paint a picture for people. Okay. Yeah. That's like something I think is so interesting, but I haven't done it myself. So, um, I think that's really cool that you've combined those two kind of loves, uh, but you're not living in LA now. You're going to Harvard Divinity School. Is that right? Yes, I am. Um, I am studying religion and literature and culture there. So I'm getting a master's in theological studies. So it kind of combined my interest of writing and also with, um, just with religion and finding religious themes in literature is just something that, um, that I really love. 
I always think when you hear this, when you see the term like divinity school, it just sounds so lofty and so, I don't know, just kind of, you know, above the fray. Like, how did you decide to go there specifically? Yeah, um, I... I think I really, I was interested in going to grad school and not just going for only writing. I kind of wanted to expand uh, my knowledge on other areas. And so um, when I started really looking into it, I'd always been very interested in uh, studying religion more in undergrad and I just didn't really have space in my schedule. And so when I started looking at programs, I realized that that's really, um, really the the writers that I really love, like C.S. Lewis and people like that really had their grounding in, um, you know, religious themes. And so that was kind of what ultimately kind of led me to that. And so what are you hoping to do when you you complete your master's and move forward? Um, I'm hoping to still be writing um, in kind of whatever capacity that is, um, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, um, publishing articles and doing things like that. Um, And I'm thinking also I'll probably, um, you know, be looking into doing other things just on the side, kind of within a community or with nonprofits or something like that. That's just kind of, um, you know, also a a means of kind of a life-giving, you know, Mm -hmm. aspect to your life. So you're not just writing all the time. Do you have any favorite nonprofits that you like to support? Yeah, um, A21 is... Um, one that I've supported a lot in the past um, and donated proceeds from my books to. Um, they're an anti-human trafficking organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're just really amazing. They have offices all over the world um, that are just really awesome. Um, and then there's also uh, Claris Health is another place um, that's uh, kind of a crisis pregnancy center in Los Angeles that um, I was a little bit involved in when I lived out there. So I'm always kind of looking for places like that, that I think that are just doing amazing work. Awesome. So you talk about doing other things in writing. Uh, would you ever consider politics in the future for yourself? (laughs) I don't think so. People, people ask me that a lot, but I don't, as of now, no. Um, I, I don't think that's really my calling specifically. Um, but I don't know. I don't, I don't like, you know, totally writing things off, but probably not. Yeah. I mean, I I wasn't getting that vibe while reading your book, but it is true that a lot of people don't end up getting, you know, into that space until later in life. Like I recently learned that, um, I think it was Nancy Pelosi didn't actually run for Congress until like all five of her children were grown. (laughs) Um, and now look at her. So it's like, you just never know, I guess what life will call you to later after you've been through other things. Um, but, but you are involved, you know, through your dad and through the 2016 campaign, which you write about a lot in the book. Um, is there anything that, you know, people that aren't inside the political sphere or on the campaign trail, like what doesn't the average person know about that life? Um, yeah, you know, I think that for us, um, I think I can't speak for every, you know, politician or family, but I think for us, um, there's, it's really just at the end of the day, just my dad's job. And so Mm -hmm. I think that there's probably from the outside, people probably think it's a lot different, but you know, and of course, like there are definitely things that are different and you have lack of privacy and things that you're kind of navigating with that. But I think that 
something that would surprise people is just how normal it can be and Mm -hmm. how it was for us growing up and, and still is. I mean, um, if I'm home, you know, visiting my parents for a little while, you know, my dad's home for dinner most nights. And even if he has to go back, um, to the office, like he'll, he'll come back and have dinner with us. So it's really, it's, we were always told we can be as involved as we want or as not involved as we want. And so it was really just kind of a thing that, you know, my dad and my mom were doing. And if we wanted to come along, we were welcome to do that. And you seem like, at least for the 2016 campaign, you seem like you were the the sibling of the three siblings that was more involved on the campaign trail. Is that a function of your personality where you're just more interested or um, just kind of a timing thing? It really was a timing thing. It was kind of crazy. Um, I ended up um, not thinking that I would be doing that. Um, I was home for the summer and I write about in the book that I was at a summer camp and I was working there and planning to move to LA. And, um, then that whole thing happened and my dad was picked to be vice president, which was completely out of the blue. Um, and so I think that, um, you know, my siblings were both, my sister was in school and my brother is in the military. And so, they weren't able to really leave where they were. And so since I was home anyway, um, I got to go for the first couple months on the campaign trail and through the election and transition. So um, it really was just timing and it was, it was great. It was honestly a, it was a good, good thing for me to be able to do. So what was your, I know you write about this, but I'd love to hear it just from you now. What was your reaction when you found out? Because, you know, in politics, you hear about the short list. You hear about, you know, even right now there's 24 people running for the Democratic ticket. Like, you do not know who's going to end up um, on, you know, at the end of the day. And the short list for VP, there was a ton of people on that. Um, And I, too, was very surprised. I was like, oh, my gosh, he actually, you know, picked Mike Pence. So what was your reaction when you heard the news? Um, Yeah, you know, I... It's funny. I, I, for some reason, wasn't that surprised. Um, it wasn't that I was um, ready for it at all. So it was kind of funny that I wasn't surprised. Um, for some reason, when my dad mentioned to me that, that might be a possibility, um, I it just kind of clicked in my mind, like, oh, well, that you know that would make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I had not been following the politics of it at all because I was very busy during the summer. Um, just doing a lot of things and working full time. And so my siblings, I think actually had been, you know, kind of like looking things up on articles and seeing the speculation. And I really didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that, you know, I kind of say in the book too, I think that God kind of just prepares us in different ways. And um, I maybe was just sort of prepared for that somehow. And just that that could maybe be a possibility um, and maybe, you know, the fact I wasn't watching the news a bunch and wasn't wrapped up in it just made it easier for me to that that might happen. Um, and then, you know, people talk about this and I think you mentioned it, that the two, President Trump and your dad have very different personalities, a lot of different traits. Um, and that kind of balanced out the ticket, um, which leads me to the question of, what are some ways that you would describe uh, your dad? He, you know, people know him, well, nationally came to know him more so, of course, in 2016, although, you know, previously the governor of Indiana and a congressman from Indiana. Um, So what are some words you might use to describe him and and maybe some things that um, you'd want to tell people about him? Um, Yeah, you know, I think that 
I think that the main things I'd kind of say about my dad are just that he really always put us first. He put his family first um, and his relationship with my mom first. And that was just really, I think, important for us to see um, just as as young kids. And even now, um, that's probably the biggest thing that I kind of think about. Um, and also just, I mean, his relationship with God is just very... Um, it's just very real and, uh, it's something that I've always known and just been able to see just how he lives his life and how he treats other people. Um, and so I think that, you know, as an adult now, just also figuring out, you know, how I want my family to be one day and things like that, just having a dad like him and just then, um, just, I mean, I can't compare it to anything else. I feel like it's just been crucial in how I've you know, developed as a person and will continue to develop. Um, I mean, coming off of Father's Day too, I mean, I think it's just so, it's been so great to have a dad that I can really go to for advice about anything. And at any time, I mean, he will answer the phone if one of us is calling him, no matter what meeting he's in or whoever he's with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, he won't even tell us he's, like, in an important meeting, which has happened a couple of times. Um, <laughs> it comes up, like, five minutes after I've been chatting with him about something. But he always just puts us first. And I think that that's got to be, you know, one of the most um, just my own kind of important things that I've seen. Now, he seems so kind and even-tempered. Um, he, I've never seen evidence of, like, an angry word or reaction or anything like that. And you seem to have gotten that kind of attitude as well, just through reading your book and all the things that you wrote about, you know, respecting disagreement and all of that kind of stuff. Is he truly as even tempered as he comes across? Yeah, honestly, he is. That's what I mean, it's crazy because I mean, I'm not I mean, he probably does come across that way. And I'm sure people think it's like an act or something. But um, he really is. I mean, he just doesn't lose his cool ever. Um, and I just feel like he just really does encourage his team around him. And that's something on the campaign trail. I really saw even, you know, there were moments of stress and things like that, that would come up, of course, in that kind of environment. And, um, you know, just, just not getting angry at people and just moving forward and fixing the situation. Um, is just something that I think he's just really, really good at. He's just good at, just doing that well and being a leader, honestly. Yeah, one of the, you quote a lot of things that he said, which he has some really great one-liners, but one of the things is do the right thing and then go home for dinner. Yeah. Is that right? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I love that because it's like so, I mean, and this applies to so many of us in our lives, just like it's so hard to just like leave work at work and Mm -hmm. leave maybe something that's really hard to deal with, like where it is, and then go home and like live out your real life where it truly you know, matters with your family. Um, have you been able to internalize that and really and do it for yourself as well? Yeah, I've definitely tried to, and I definitely want to, um, you know, in the future. I think one of the things, you know, when Blackberries were still a thing, I remember my dad would come home from working and like just being on the hill and he would put his Blackberry in a dish at the door and he wouldn't have it, you know, on him all night. And I think like little things like that, I definitely want to uh, try to emulate, um, you know, in my own family someday. And, and I think too, just 
the idea during the day, even when you're not at home, that, you know, you're going to go home, you're going to see your family, whatever's going on at work or whatever is this big issue right now, it's not going to be that big of a deal, you know, in a couple of days. And I think that the biggest part of that phrase of do the right thing and go home for dinner is kind of, you know, just saying, do your best and then, you know, give yourself a break and cut yourself some slack and be around people that love you no matter how that day at work went. Yeah. I think that's such great advice. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, one thing I wanted to ask you about is just how you deal with some of the negativity. I mean, it's been, obviously, you know, very extreme in the past couple of years. And, um, you know, people have said really awful things about your dad, things that are not true. And, um, you know, he, we just described, like, he does not react to that. Um, he, people say what they want to say. You've said that he often says, this is what freedom sounds like. And that's true. Um, but for yourself, I, I, how do you deal with it? Because I am sure that sometimes you're, you can get angry. Like that's my dad, like this great person that people are talking about in such a negative way. Um, how do you deal with that? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I do think that my parents have really raised us well to kind of figure out, you know, and see things in light of, you know, this is how democracy is supposed to work. And this is, yeah, it's difficult. But at the end of the day, you know, when you are serving in public life, you have to take criticism. And that's part of it. Um, But yeah, I mean, that doesn't change the fact that, you know, obviously, that's my dad. And, um, you know, I'm always going to take it personally, when people say things about him, especially things that aren't true. And so, yeah, I think that the best way to kind of at least try to, you know, put some of those ideas and rumors aside is just to um, just act in a way that, you know, goes against those ideas and those things that people are saying that aren't true. Um, And so I think that just watching my dad be able to treat others with kindness and grace, even when they're not treating him that way. Um, has just been really influential for me. And I've tried to do that, um, you know, with people in my life and um, with people that I've encountered. Are you strategic about how you engage on social media with some of this stuff? Yeah, um, I'm honestly not big on social media. I mean, I'm on Instagram, but I'm on Twitter, but I don't really tweet like at people or anything like that. Um, And yeah, I'd say, I mean, I mostly... I mostly like to ignore comments from people. I don't really care Mm -hmm. if people, and honestly, a lot of people don't, most people do not um, put any negative comments on like pictures I put up, which I've been kind of surprised about. Yeah. And I, so you don't get like pushback personally. Yeah. Like I'll get some nasty comments sometimes, but most people um, are pretty nice and don't do that. At least people that follow me or find me. Um, So, I mean, honestly, and I kind of ignore it if it does come up because it's kind of part of it anyway. Um, But yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that would be, that'd be tough. But you've had, you've had some years to, to kind of build it up too. So you've got experience under your back. Um, Now you went on The View. Now I think you've been on The View twice, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, I saw, they asked you there about the John Oliver uh, book that came out as kind of like a rival book to your children's book that you wrote but you were so gracious and um and the negativity coming from the other side talking about like how his book was giving money to uh a nonprofit, and your book was giving money to a nonprofit. and you even talked about how you bought a copy of his book which I thought was really cool um 
Have you been on any other shows or had any any other kind of, um, I, guess, I guess that was the most public kind of thing that's happened for you in that regard? Has anything else been like that? No, you know, or wait, you're sorry. Are you saying, is there any, been any other like John Oliver books or any other? <laughs> well, John Oliver-ish type of okay, behavior yeah. from others. Um, I don't think so. Not really. Um, that was a pretty big surprise. We didn't really know that was going to happen until the day that our book was published. Um, and so that was a huge, yeah, shock, but, um, no, I don't think so. And we've had another book come out since and no one's done anything. Um, I think, yeah, it was very much kind of playing to one crowd, um, which is kind of what his book was doing a little bit. Um, but again, yeah, I mean, it, it gave money to charities and ours also did that. And so it, it just ended up being kind of a little competition at the end of the day. Yeah. And your book has sold well. So yeah, <laughs> it's all good in the end. Yeah. Um, now, this kind of goes on the point of you talk at length in the book about speaking and engaging with people you disagree with. You bring this up multiple times just about how important it is like not to judge someone and who they are like based on a p- specific like policy belief that they have. Um, how do you live that out in your own life um, as far as engaging with people who may think differently from you or live differently than you and that kind of a thing? Yeah, um, I think that it's really important to um, to do that and to kind of um, engage with people that are not completely the same as us. Um, I mean, I think that I've done that kind of in my life, just going to schools that are more liberal or living in cities that are definitely more liberal, um, than other areas of the country, but I think it's been, it's been interesting and healthy, I think, to have relationships with friends that don't necessarily agree with politics of my family, but we're still friends because at the end of the day, we can still get along if we don't disagree. I mean, if we don't agree. Um, mm-hmm. so I think that, I think it's really good. I think it's an important thing and something that, um, I'm not sure that our generation does that well um, just because we're kind of easy being in little echo chambers, um, just with social media and um, just other avenues and not venturing out and realizing that we can have a lot of commonalities between people that are not exactly the same as us. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that you said um, even if you had wanted to vote against the Trump-Pence ticket in 2016, that it would have been celebrated in your family mm-hmm. because, you know, your family values having your own belief system, um, you know, how (laughs) to talk about that a little more and and how your family values that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we always, you know, had, have had lively debates about, um, you know, politics and policies. I think that, um, you know, people probably assume that we disagree with our parents about things, my siblings and I, and that's definitely not true. I mean, if we have any question about a specific thing that's in the news or, you know, a certain bill or something, we'll always, you know, call up um, our parents and talk to them about it. So, um, yeah, I think that that's like definitely a thing that we were taught was to have our own opinions um, and not just follow along with whatever, you know, our parents thought about a certain issue. So we were always really encouraged to um, to push back on them if we didn't agree and then to kind of come to our own conclusions about things. Now, I wanted to ask you another question about the campaign, which is um, you say that you were not surprised on Election Day. Most of us were. Most mm-hmm. people were not expecting the outcome. 
Um, I always say, like, I remember I was watching TV at about 930 when I saw the turn and I thought, oh, wow, this is not going the way everyone thought it was going to go, or at least the media thought it was going to go. And you talk about being in some of those places out in America that the Hillary Clinton campaign did not go. um, And the people that you met and saw and how those people in those places really kind of told you far further in advance than the rest of us that this is probably a winning campaign. So can you tell me about some of the people and places that you met out there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I wasn't surprised, but I don't say that in an arrogant way at all. I think that if I had not been on the campaign trail, I would have been very surprised. Um, But just the people Mm -hmm. that we were meeting um, were, there was just a level of enthusiasm for that ticket that I've, I've never seen in public life. Um, and so it's just been, it was really amazing to see and still continues to be, I mean, we will go to, um, you know, other more kind of rural areas of America and just see people, um, lining up at, you know, airport hangars to say hi to us or waiting or making signs, like when we're driving somewhere and just lining the street. And I think that people, um, they were excited, I think, about somebody that was not from Washington, D.C. I think that that was a big part of it. And people just wanted something different, maybe. I mean, I'm not a political, you know, mind at all. But from the people that I kind of met and saw, most of them were people that, um, you know, had never been involved in politics before, were not interested in it. And I remember meeting one lady who said that, um her father had never voted in an election, but he was going to vote for Donald Trump, but he passed away before the election. And so their whole family like was coming out to vote for him. And so there were just a lot of working class people we got to meet that were not interested in politics and think that, you know, that applied to them maybe um, until they saw Donald Trump kind of saying things that they were thinking. And so um, yeah, it was, it was fascinating to be on, on the campaign trail. And it was definitely something that taught me a lot about just the differences in different parts of America and the people that aren't talked about, um, on the mainstream media. And you also talked in the book about meeting president Trump and his family for the first time. Can you describe what that was like and, and what, what your thoughts was that, you know, meeting him for the first time? Yeah. Um, I, I did. I met him at um, Bedminster, which is his um, one of his like Trump resorts in New Jersey. And um, he was um, very gracious and very kind. Um, I actually wasn't really going to have the opportunity to meet him. It was one of these things that um, we were, you know, coming to meet him. My parents were going to hang out with them, but there was a big you know, question mark as to whether there would be any time for me. And I was like, Oh, it's totally <laughs> fine. That was, you know, not a priority whatsoever. Um, and he actually ended up like making time in his schedule to meet with me um, and come have breakfast with my parents and me so that we could meet and kind of get to know one another. Um, and it was important for us, I think for us as a family, just for me being the only sibling that was kind of available to be there um, to kind of give my opinion and my advice about it. Um, and then, yeah, I was able to meet the siblings um, eventually and and spent a lot of time with them on my campaign trail, which was just um, really fun. And it was cool to kind of be able to see their family um, interact in such um, such a kind and meaningful way. I mean, they were just, they're very supportive of each other and we're so supportive of each other. Um, 
that was cool to see, especially in politics, um, that just all of them were just so active on the campaign trail and excited. Yeah, I'm sure there's some kind of like a special bond that you share as children of high profile people and politicians (laughs) and especially president and vice president. Another thing I wanted to ask you, I think this was probably after the election, um, but this really stood out to me. And it's something I really liked in your book about meeting Hillary Clinton Mm -hmm. um, and Michelle Obama. You you talk about um, meeting Hillary Clinton and how it was really special to you because she actually really made a point to speak to you. Like she chose to speak to you over some other guy that was in the room or next to her. Um, and she was just really kind to you. Um, Mm -hmm. what was that like? And, and did you have kind of a new perspective of her after it happened? Um, yeah, honestly, I, I hadn't really had a perspective about her before, um, just because we had not really met. Um, but it it was really cool for me to see her. It was right on um, inauguration day. So of course, you know, that was probably a weird day for her. Um, and <laughs> yeah. she was there and, and she was just, yeah, she was really, um, she was really kind. My sister was like, Oh, let's go over and say hi to her. And um, so when we did, she just, she took time to talk to us and talk to us about, you know, whatever we were doing. And I think, and like talking about school and what I studied and it was just very, um, it was very meaningful for me to kind of see that, that, you know, at the end of the day, like people are just people and, um, you know, she understands definitely what it's like to have, um, a kid in, in politics and, you know, raise a family while having a political family. And so, um, yeah, it was very, it was very interesting for me and just also, um, just fun to kind of see people coming together and, and not just being partisan and out of the campaign trail. Were you nervous to go over and introduce yourself? I definitely was. Um, mostly just because, you know, she's a very famous person. Um, and my, yeah, my sister was like, no, like what, let's go. And so she was right. That's cool. And I often, I feel like I've hear here and there stories about her like that. It's just, you don't know someone until you know them, really. So I think that's that's pretty cool. And then you also mentioned uh, Michelle Obama saying something kind to you as well. Yeah. Um, what was it that she said? Yeah, she said um, she said to hold tight to each other um, during this time to really really rely on one another and rely on our family. And that was kind of her advice to us, which I think is just really um, really powerful and important advice for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, another thing that you talk about in the book is your faith. Um, you kind of had a kind of not, a, I don't want to say falling out, but like a battle with your faith when you were in your early twenties or uh, younger, and then you kind of have come back to have an even stronger faith now. Um, and that's clearly a part of your family and has been an important value for you. Um, how do you now, how does your faith now kind of guide your life? And how do you, I like to ask people this question, how do you hear God's voice? Yeah, um, I did. I kind of in college um, was not really sure about Christianity and religion um, and kind of fell away from it for a little bit um, when I studied abroad. And then when I came back, um, just really felt like um, God was just, it just really made himself kind of clear to me. Um, and I was definitely... Um, I don't know. I just was very much, I felt like I've just had a relationship with him ever since then. Um, and I think that that's a great question. I've, and I've been asked it before and it's hard to answer sometimes, but 
It is. I think um, I think that I I really hear God's voice when I'm. I think just noticing Him in the little moments in the day and taking time to to talk to Him to pray. Um, I notice big difference in myself when I you know don't read my Bible in the morning or something. There's just a difference in my attitude throughout the whole day. And I think when I have um, the ability to kind of um, just do that and just make time for it, because I really always have time for it, um, that's just really important and just um, something that will completely kind of change my day. Do you have any kind of um, daily routine for yourself? Maybe not necessarily related to faith, but just... Um, things that keep you on track or keep you productive, things like that? Um, yeah, I do. Um, I, I try to, um, run usually, usually run in the morning, um, and I'll read my Bible and, um, then I'll also just like sit down and start writing usually, especially this summer, I'm kind of using this time to write a lot. And so doing that writing and research, um, is just a big part of my routine. So, I'll do that somewhere, whether it's, you know, at my apartment or I'll go to a cafe or something. Um, and then I usually want to like take a walk in the afternoon or something to kind of clear my mind and go hang out with people and interact with people. So I'm not just, you know, by myself writing all day. Uh, what's, do you have any kind of like, um, writing processes or like, what is your like best writing environment? Um, I think, I don't know. That's a good question. I think I, I kind of, like to be in more of an office where I'm by myself. Um, but sometimes I, I can be at a cafe and have a lot of people around. Um, it kind of depends. I think I'm trying to really be good at um, just developing ways to write kind of wherever I am. Um, and so that's kind of a goal of mine, at least now, just to be um, flexible with writing. So I can write on a plane or write, you know, at wherever, like at a friend's house, if I'm staying with someone. So I'm trying to be, uh, teach myself, I guess, how to do that in a more flexible way. So I'm not limited. Um, but yeah, I definitely do find myself kind of sticking to a couple routines if I have a choice. Well, I love uh, something you said that you write one sentence in a journal every day. Are you still doing yeah. that? Yes, I am. Um, yeah, I, I have a five-year journal and it basically is, yeah, that it's just like one, um, one line a day, I think. And so you can kind of write a couple sentences, maybe if you have space and, um, that's just, that's been really cool. I mean, I'm on the third year of it right now. So, um, I've kind of been able to, uh, see how things have changed over the past couple of years, which has been just really neat. Do you, have you missed a day or do you really do it every day? Yeah, I have, but I've gone back. So I'll notice, I'll think like, oh no, I haven't done this. And then I'll go back and do it. Um, and, you know, which isn't as effective because of course, like then I'm not as, <laughs> not as authentic, but um, I definitely do uh, kind of try to do that um, every single day, even if I'm traveling. Yeah, that seemed, I, so I had never thought of that before. And when I read that, I was like, you know, that's such, that's so good because Sometimes, you know, you get writer's block or it's like, oh, you just feel like you don't have time. But if you just say it's just one sentence, mm -hmm. then, right. you know, at least you're getting something out. And to be able to look back over that, I think, like you said, a couple years in or who knows, 20 years in, 
um, and to see what you were thinking about on that day. I think that is a really, really cool idea. Yeah, I think it's really awesome. And I I used to journal a lot, but journaling is kind of daunting, I think, because you're kind of like, like you said, you're like, I have to write like five pages and... I think it's just well, and using your hand, like handwriting is so hard for me now because I'm so used to typing that, like, even writing like cards to people, I'm like, ah, this is taking too long. Yeah, no, so true. Uh, So, we're getting close to, well, ish, close to the 2020 election. Uh, What are you going to be involved at all in that process? Um, I'm not really sure yet. I know that, um, yeah, since last time I went on the trail with my parents, um, something that I thought about um, or maybe writing another book about or something. Um, I think that would be really interesting. Um, But I'm not, I'm not sure yet what life will hold for me then. Yeah. I guess it's hard to say. And then it's like, you know, we, we never know what's going to happen. So that could change things too. Exactly. Um, So what, I guess uh, one question before we get to those kind of fun end of the podcast questions is, Looking at your life, where do you see yourself in 10 years? What might you want to be doing then? Oh, wow. Um, I think I should have, I should have sent you that one earlier. Okay. Um, I, I have a hard time. Like I'm not good at doing the five year, 10 year plan thing. Although I've tried to, I think, yeah, in 10 years, I mean, I would love to be like writing full time and have a family, um, and be able to balance both of those things. And so whether that's, um, you know, writing nonfiction things or writing articles, um, or writing fiction. I just think that that's something that I'm, I'm really trying to cultivate now so I can do it hopefully in the future. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd love to like be a stay at home mom and then also be writing full time. That's kind of been my dream since I was, I was a kid. So hopefully that's what I'm doing in 10 years. It's kind of my dream right now too, but I do have I do have two little kids right now, and I'm working on getting to that point. Hopefully, <laughs> so. Um, all right. Well, I do want to ask you a couple questions. Um, end of podcast questions. I know you're a reader, um, so you probably are like reading three books right now at the same time. But um, I'd love to hear maybe a favorite recent book or two that you've read, or maybe a favorite book of all time if you have that on hand in your mind. So yeah, you're right. I am always reading a couple of books at a time. Um, right now, um, I'm reading Who Stole Feminism, which is by Christina Hoff Summers. It's a little, um, it's, it's an older book. I mean, it came out um, a couple of decades ago, I think, but it's just really great uh, look at kind of mm-hmm. conservative feminism. Um, my favorite book of all time is A Wrinkle in Time by Madeline. Um, yeah. yeah, I absolutely love that book. I love like magical realism and like fantasy with that um, kind of those allegorical themes. Um, I just finished The Immortalist by Chloe Benjamin. That's like an adult, um, more of an adult fiction book. Um, yeah, but it's it's good. I would rate it. It's definitely more like PG thirteen and up. So um, I would give that as a little like um, disclaimer, but. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm kind of all over the place. I, I like nonfiction and I really like fiction. So um, I kind of try to be listening to audiobooks and also reading a lot. So um, I'm kind of in a lot of different <laughs> worlds, I guess. Yeah, I need I need one fiction and one nonfiction going at the same time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Do you have any favorite podcasts? Yes. Um, I listen, so I listen to Ben Shapiro's podcast like almost every day, I'd say. Um, yeah. 
I he's probably what got me into podcasts. Um, I really like um, like the TED interviews, like TED Talks, and mm-hmm. the New York Times Book Review. I've gotten really into recently, just because I feel like it helps me be a little up to date on what you know new books are out. Um, and then AEI um, has a podcast called the Banter Podcast, um, mm-hmm. and I don't know, I like that one a lot. They've they've had a couple interesting authors on recently that. Um, have just made me super interested in like reading their books, which I love. So, um, yeah, I think that those are Do you know who my... the hosts are? Um, hosts are of that one? I'm not sure. I think that they, okay. they might alternate sometimes. They are, um, okay. or they like work at American Enterprise Institute and are kind of interviewing people at American Enterprise Institute. But, right. um, I don't know. It's not Arthur Brooks because I think he's on it <laughs> at some point as a guest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But, um, yeah, it's, it's fun. They kind of riff off of each other, which is cool. Okay. Uh, what, I know you've gotten to meet a lot of famous people probably in your life already, but, um, if you could meet someone that you haven't met yet and have dinner and drinks with them, who would it be and why? Um, you know, I think this is funny because I was thinking about this and I think that I have met this person, so it doesn't really fit in your but that's fine. I would like to hang out with Megan McCain a lot more. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, a couple times on the View, but um, yeah, she's just someone that I just watch and see how she's really navigated um, just being a daughter of a politician, but then also a writer and like a thought leader and a columnist, and kind of worked her way through the media commentary landscape and. I just think, and she just also seems like very fun and down to earth. And I just, I think mm-hmm. she's very authentic and real with people, um, especially about, you know, her grieving process with losing her dad. And so I think that I would love to, to hang out with her more for sure. Well, she's certainly, um, yes, I totally agree with you. And I, have friends that are friends with her, but I'm not friends with her. (laughs) So, um, I'm with you on wanting to hang out with her a little bit more. And she's definitely, I mean, look what she's done for the view in the past couple of years. I mean, she's like gotten their ratings up there. Just, I think it's really all her to be honest with you. Uh Uh, She's done a great job. Yeah. Yeah. Cause she's just, yeah, she just, she gives the pushback. She's unapologetic about what she believes. And, um, I think she's like what Joy Behar has been waiting for all this time. <laughs> yeah. Um, did you like your experience on The View? Was it fun? Yeah, it really was. People were very nice. Um, I really liked it. I mean, it was it was kind of a good um, it was a good environment, and people were you know kind of let me talk and stuff. And I think that it, it was good. It, it was fun to kind of able to answer some authentic questions too that people kind of brought up throughout the interviews but it was good I mean it's, it's always kind of fun it's fun to be in front of a live audience too that's something that you don't get always with interviews so oh, it's yeah. kind of fun to be there that would be cool and you know of course they're not some people go on there and they're like they're there to be grilled <laughs> about something uh-huh. um, but luckily people are it seems like pretty respectful of you're the child of a politician, you're not the politician. And so they're not going to give you too hard of a time on things. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's kind of how people normally go into it a little bit, which is nice. Yeah. Um, all right, Charlotte. Well, that's pretty much all I have. And thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day and 
your busy schedule to talk with me. Yeah, thank you so much. This is so fun. I really appreciate it. Um, love to chat anytime. Yeah, and everybody make sure you go get a copy of Charlotte's book. I will link everything in the show notes and um, well, her more than one book. Now you have three, right? You got two children's books yeah. and one regular? Yes. Okay, so she's got three, so we'll link them all. And um, look forward to seeing what you do in the future. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on today. Well, thanks for listening to that conversation, everyone. I loved talking to Charlotte and reconnecting with the Pence family. If you're a new listener, I hope you'll come back next week. We have new episodes every Tuesday. If you've been listening, please consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes so more people can find the show and be inspired by the stories we share here. If you want to be sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the podcast and sign up for my email list at ericaanderson.com. I'll see you next Tuesday. This episode was brought to you in part by the Table Podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to rotating hosts discuss issues of God and culture to demonstrate theology's relevance in everyday life. Find it on your podcast app. For videos and more, visit dts.edu podcast.